Hello, and welcome back to Exhaling Words, the language podcast where I just ramble and God, I hope someone's listening. For those of you who don't know, my name is Aaron and I am your host. And we are in the middle of a series talking about the Arabic language, diglossia, dialectology, Arabic roots and patterns, although that's probably not coming for several more episodes. Um, and just all the things I love about Arabic. So last week I talked about what is diglossia, what does it look like, what does it mean from an Arabic context, and today I want to start looking at sort of the questions of the diversity of the dialects of Arabic. How different are they? What are things that we can consider when talking about their differences in terms of geographic location, population density, and like urban spaces versus rural spaces? as well as maybe how do we go about distinguishing between larger dialects, smaller dialects, the difference between dialects if we don't know them that well. And I want to end this series, which will probably be about three episodes, focusing on how do we approach studying Arabic. As students of Arabic, or for those of you who are also teachers of Arabic like me, how do we go about teaching both dialect and standard Arabic? How do you go about picking a dialect? And sort of what is this consideration of what we call in the Arabic teaching community the integrated approach versus separating standard and so on and so forth. So today I really want to talk about uh, dialectal variation, particularly in terms of things like regional variation, dialect recognition, and maybe starting to get into questions of Um, population density. And then I think in the next episode, I want to look at sort of an example of some of this, or I'll just ramble and hopefully this turns into an hour and I can make it to episodes. So, okay. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Arabic language has approximately 400 million, over 400 million native speakers. As I mentioned last week, when a native speaker of Arabic is learning their native language, they're not actually learning standard Arabic or modern standard Arabic. What they're actually learning as their first language is their local dialect, or as Egyptian linguist Bedoui uh, puts it, he refers to this as Amit al-Umin, which is the language of the illiterates, or the dialect of the illiterates. Again, like I said last week, I don't like that terminology. But this is why dialects becomes very important in Arabic because standard Arabic and what we see in media and what people communicate with and what we write in and so on and so forth, this is nobody's real native language and it's nobody's real natural form of communication with anybody else. When people talk, they're going to talk in local dialects, they're going to talk in in their native language, you know, and and we all start to adapt to each other's native languages and we, you know, come to a place that many of us call lahja um, bayda, a white dialect or a neutral dialect, and that sort of becomes something that uh, grows closer and closer to standard Arabic in many ways. But the local dialects of Arabic are crucial to the identity of the Arabic language because they really are the foundation. Standard Arabic was something that was contrived by, um, by early modern scholars, not even early modern scholars, by modern scholars of Arabic, by Arabs themselves during the Nahda period and the rise of sort of literacy among the Arab world. 
this need to and desire for uh, the creation of a of a unifying language that is based on classical Arabic and on literary Arabic. It's it's something that didn't exist previously. There was classical and little literary Arabic, and people learned that. But the concept of having a sort of lingua franca that is based out of that, that people can speak and that people can use cross-dialectally, this is a new and modern thing. But when we talk about questions of like cross-dialectal communication, what are the dialects? Where are these boundaries? You know, how do we say that this is one dialect and this is another one? And how do we define all of them and things like that? That's something I want to get into today. I think the easiest way to start defining dialects is to think of geography and talk about them from from a perspective of regional variation. Obviously, there are smaller scales of this and people will talk about, you know, the dialect of their country or the dialect of a specific region of their country. But I want to start from the big picture and sort of zoom in slightly. So, again, the Arabic language is 400 million native speakers, and it's spoken officially in 2022, 20, 23, in a low 20s countries. And however, not all of them really like have native speakers, you know, like, so for example, an official language of the Comoros Islands is Arabic and it's part of the Arab League, but there aren't native Arabic speakers in the Comoros. Same thing with, like, Somalia. Djibouti's a little bit different. There are plenty of native Arabic speakers in Djibouti, um, even though there are lots of French speakers and lots of Somali speakers in Djibouti as well. But there are definitely liminal spaces within the geographic region that we think of as the Arab world, which is, you know, North Africa, the traditional idea of the Middle East or Western Asia, and the Gulf. There are liminal spaces where people aren't native speakers of Arabic or people might also be speakers of other languages and that affects their dialect in Arabic and whatnot. But generally, when we think of this larger sort of MENA, the Middle East, North Africa, or SWANA, the Southwestern Asia and North Africa sort of region, I like to divide it up into five sort of general regional variants. And moving from west to east, that would be Western North African, or just generally North African, and then Eastern North African, which you could probably also just say Egyptian. But I think again, we're going to see spill. Uh, we're going to see overlap between you know Egypt and Libya, or Egypt and Northern Sudan, and things like that. And then the Levant, so Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, the Gulf, so the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, and south of them, and then. Iraqi Arabic, or maybe a better term here would be Mesopotamian Arabic. And again, we'll see sort of how this blurs the different uh, national boundaries. So honestly, I like to think of this less as here are geographic regions, especially when we're thinking of sort of nation states and countries, but more as like a spectrum. Honestly, even the term spectrum is really incorrect because what we're looking at with spectrum is that there's two points and then they sort of blend in the middle. What what this is more like, it's almost like geographical Venn diagrams. So you say like, here's a point, we'll base it around Baghdad, for example, and we'll say this is Mesopotamian Arabic. And that geographic sort of region, which we'll just say it's a circle, will radiate outward. And then we'll have Levantine Arabic, and we'll drop that pin, you know, right where Jordan, uh, Syria, and Lebanon all sort of meet there. 
and then we'll say that that radiates outward and there's going to be overlap so you you will notice that say like eastern syrian arabic is actually similar to iraqi arabic and eastern jordanian arabic is very similar to iraqi arabic similarly you know southern iraqi is going to be very similar to kuwaiti and to gulf dialects in north africa you know we often sort of hold up moroccan as the focal point for what is north african dialect or what is you know in arabic we'll call it maghribi which makes sense because you know al-maghrib is morocco and so if we have north african as being maghribi okay well what about algerian and tunisian and then what is libyan even you know libyan dialect is very much sort of its own thing it has north african features it has features that people might call egyptian tunisian is the same way it's not quite as you know, I think when people talk about like North African, North African, they're really going at Moroccan and maybe Tunisian and Algerian as well. But even, you know, let's say Tunisian and Algerian, they sort of sit in this kind of middle ground as, you know, being more towards the central portion of, of, of Northern Africa. And so it's really, I think, better to think about it as if we have like a circle that says this is the largest possible extent of Gulf Arabic, but then you'll see where that overlaps with with Levantine Arabic in Jordan and with Iraqi Arabic in Kuwait and Iraq and Western Jordan or Eastern Jordan. You'll see, you know, how Egyptian sort of radiates out radiates outwards, but then it's going to overlap with North African, with Moroccan, and you're going to get, you know, how do we describe the dialects of Libya and Tunisia and Algeria? Now, this isn't 100%. Obviously, like, within a country or within a specific region, you can also have other influences. So, one of the reasons that, like, Moroccan is very particular is because Morocco has a very large indigenous community through the Hamazigh peoples. You know, Djibouti has influence from French. It has influence from Yemeni dialects because of trade back and forth between um, Yemenis and people in Djibouti and in Somalia. So, again, it's not going to be just uh, everybody in that circle under that one dialect label speaks the same there's obviously going to be variation based off of a country based off of even a village based off of so many other features but you will notice that on these sort of border zones between these larger varieties that i'm laying out here there will be a lot of similarities something else to consider and i think this is much more prevalent in the modern day is the role of mass media and just globalization in general. And so you do have dialects that have had a larger influence, both geographically speaking and in terms of their impact on other dialects. There's a lot of sociological places we could go with this in terms of Egyptian Arabic and Lebanese Arabic, but particularly Egyptian Arabic, because of the influence that Egypt has had on the larger Arab world both in terms of word choice, in terms of certain features that are, you know, very much a part of Egyptian Arabic and those things becoming parts of other dialects, as well as cultural things. You know, Egypt was very much the exporter of not only music, but particularly film. And so while while geography is still going to be the primary defining feature here, I really do think that, you know, we also do have to consider the role that uh, that mass media has on on the development of Arabic dialects. Now, I feel like I just spent all that time kind of talking about how do we approach 
seeing the dialects and understanding them from sort of a big picture perspective. But I think something that's lost there is just the practicality of looking at them. Rather than trying to do a survey of, you know, this is Moroccan dialect or this is North African dialect and this is Egyptian and this is, you know, Levantine and this is Gulf, I kind of want to approach this more as recognizing unique features, but also shared features. I think there's definitely a place to sort of do an intro to different dialects, whether that's from sort of an educational standpoint and me teaching you um, some of the basics of different dialects, or even just sort of a survey. But I think that's something that's better suited like to be on its own. So if you are interested in sort of getting a survey of different dialects like that, please, by all means, let me know. Um, and I can do that and maybe even set it up with some native speakers for the dialects that I'm not particularly proficient in. Um, and we can go over some of them for you all. But right now I want to sort of talk about recognizing different dialects and understanding sort of the difference between unique features and shared dialectal features. So this is sort of the thing, like we talk about Arabic being all the same language and the dialects being all related. And then we also really highlight that the dialects are so different and people don't understand each other. And especially as an educator and a teacher of Arabic, this is something that we go hard on because I really want students to understand that, you know, they really have to focus on learning a dialect if they want to be conversationally proficient. But for practical means, they also need to learn another dialect, at least passively. And this is something I'm going to get into next week when I talk about, you know, how do we approach learning Arabic as a whole. But something that I think we don't spend enough time sort of focusing on is a lot of similarities. So for example, let's start with something basic. One of the first things that we teach in Levantine dialect is that present tense verbs in Levantine dialect get a ba at the beginning. So for example, basic words like, you know, I study, which is adros in fosha, or, and you know, and then you study tadros, and he studies yadros, and we study nadros, and so on and so forth. We put a ba at the beginning of these verbs in the present tense. So we'll say ana badros, inta tedros, huwa biedros, ehna nedros, which even there you'll notice the assimilation is not benedros, but it's nedros. It's almost an, it's almost a meme. So this feature is one of those features that, you know, you learn it, and if you haven't been exposed to multiple dialects, you're like, oh, wow, like, okay, like, that's a cool Levantine thing. And then you find out that Egyptians do it. And then you find out that Gulf speakers do it, except for when they put the ba, it can actually mean the future and not the regular present tense. And so this is what I mean by sometimes a feature is spread across multiple dialect groups, and sometimes it doesn't even have the same meaning. And so what happens, I think, a lot, and I've talked about this a little bit in some Instagram stories, is that people hear one feature and sort of latch onto it, or one word, and they latch onto it, and then they think that, oh, well, this must mean that you're speaking that dialect. But dialects are really a product of multiple features. So for example, the ba prefixing is Levantine dialect. The future form in in Urah, instead of using sa or salfa, which is in standard Arabic, is also Levantine dialect. But Urah can also be Egyptian dialect. Now, I think more commonly in Egyptian dialect is the prefix ha or ha. I've heard of both with the, both the emphatic ha and a regular ha. I think ha is more common, and this is where 
sort of people will start to say, okay, okay, that's Egyptian. But I've heard Egyptians say rah, and I've heard people from the Levant say ha. Even I say ha sometimes. Now, again, I'm not a native speaker, but there are these sort of short phrases like, if I want to say, okay, well, we'll see, hanshuf, not rahanshuf. You say rahanshuf, that's fine. But hanshuf, just, it's just easier to say it all as one word. And so, like, these sorts of features where, okay, well, the f- this feature exists in both dialects, but this dialect has another feature that's similar and comes from the same place. It's also from rah, and probably the ra is being dropped, and then we take a ha and prefix it onto the verb. And that one's more common in this dialect, while another feature is more common in another dialect. But they're still shared features. We're still using the shared features. But then you get features that are very much unique. So, for example, in North African dialect, and I will preface this with, this is my weakest of all the dialects that I've studied and know things about. Don't ask me a lot of questions about North African. But North African, especially like Moroccan dialect, their present tense prefix is a kaf. Ka. And I can't even give you the example of saying like kadrus because they also put a noon for the first person singular and they've restructured the present tense paradigm to so if you know Arabic, and if you don't, I'm sorry, just ignore this, skip the next minute. But if you know Arabic, you know that in the second person, in ente and inti, when you go into the plural, into entum, it's the same prefix, but you add a u suffix. And the same thing in the third person, that you have hua, ya, and hia, ta, and then in the plural, you get this u suffix, hum, ya, u. Hin is different, but that's because it's the feminine plural, it's its own thing. This pattern makes a lot of sense. It really does. And it makes you wonder, like, why doesn't that exist in the first person? Well, I have good news for you. It does in North African Arabic and in Maltese, which is another episode I'm going to do at the end of this series, I think, because somebody requested it and I love Maltese. Anyways, so what they've done is they've restructured this paradigm. And so now noon by itself is the first person singular is the ana form. So you say ana nedros or something like that. And then the plural, ehna, will become nedrasu, or nadrasu. Again, don't, I know this is going to be wrong. If you're a Moroccan speaker, please forgive me. So then what you get is, instead of saying, ana badrus, or ana adrus, you get ana knedrus. And actually, I think, I don't even think they use the verb darasa. I think they just say, knekra, knekra. Again, this is why Moroccan's hard for people, because unless you're really used to hearing it, it's all these sounds, and you're like, what? I think they use qara'a to mean to study. Don't don't quote me on that. But yeah, so you get the kaf, but you also get the n. And then like, inta, I guess, we'll just stick with, with darasa. So then, inta, k'tidrus. I know I'm doing it wrong, and I feel so bad, because I'm not a Moroccan speaker, and this isn't really a dialect I'm comfortable with, so I'm so sorry right now. But... This is what I'm talking about. If you're hearing verbs that you recognize, like, oh, okay, that's a verb I recognize, but it has a calf at the beginning, 100% you're done. Okay, that's North African Arabic, probably Moroccan specifically. I think maybe Tunisian as well. But you can't do that when you hear a ba, because ba could be several dialects. It could be Egyptian. It could be Levantine, any of the four Levantine dialects. It could be a Gulf dialect, but in a different verbal form. It's hard to hear one thing and go, okay, like, that's this dialect. And I also, I hear this a lot from people in terms of pronunciation. So, for example, people hear the jim becoming g, and they go, that's Egyptian. 
And to be honest, even I used to be that way. And sometimes I still am. It's just, it's a very unique feature. It's a very obvious one. You hear, like, there are many words with gem in them. So you hear the g. However, this is not uniquely Egyptian. This does exist in other dialects. Not many. Um, it exists in certain dialects in Yemen and maybe a couple other Gulf dialects. So it's mostly just Egyptian and some Southern Gulf and I want to say maybe Northern Sudanese. Again, these are, I'm, I'm talking now about dialects. I don't really know. So I'm just, but I know it's not just an Egyptian thing. So it's not just the gene by itself becoming gene, but it's the g. It's Egyptians have this very sort of unique, they have a very unique yeah, especially in words that end in like ia. So for example, like when they say like amrikia or something, it's not amrikia, it's like amrikia, keia. It's, it's almost like an eia. Again, this isn't a dialect I speak really, so it's not something that I can do off the top of my head. But I, I, when I hear it, I go, oh, okay, that's an Egyptian dialect. Um, Egyptians put their question words at the end of the sentence. Egyptians consistently um, negate verbs with a sh at the end. However, that's an example of a feature that has sprouted outward. Because, for example, we use that feature in Palestinian and Jordanian dialect. And... and it's spread elsewhere as well. It's not just an Egyptian feature or even a Southern Levantine feature. But it is one of those features that I've had Egyptians look at me and be like, oh, like, when did you live in Egypt? And I'm like, first of all, how dare you think that I, I have an Egyptian accent? Not that I think Egyptian is bad, but I'm just like, what? That's not my accent at all when I speak Arabic. But it's these assumptions that like I use this one word or this one form. So saying something like mangdish. I don't have any. And and I've met Egyptians and they're like, oh, well, you know, you said like Mandish. And I'm like, okay, well, people in Jordan and Palestine say Mandish. Like, that's fine. And they're like, well, no, no, no. Like, you know, Jordanians and Palestinians don't use the sh. I'm like, no, they do. Definitely do. Now, do they use them as much as Egyptians do? No. Egyptians will put sh at the end of every single verb for negation. In Jordan and Palestine, they'll put it at the end of the verb, but like if there's nothing else after it. So if I say like, oh, I don't have money or something, I'll say like, mindi masadi. But if I say like, oh, I just don't have it, mindish. If I say like, I didn't, I didn't eat bread today. But if I just say, oh, like if somebody says like, oh, have you eaten? No, I haven't eaten. So it's these sort of in these sentences where the verb just ends and there isn't an object after it, then Southern Levantine speakers will also put the sh at the end. But an Egyptian will like put it everywhere. They'll say like, and so they'll put the sheen at the end of the verb, even though there's an object following after it. So the sheen is always sort of there consistently. And that's one of these sort of nuanced differences where you have a feature that exists in multiple dialects, but they're used slightly differently. Similarly, I think people often like hear the cough becoming gya, and they think of this as being like Iraqi or something. And it's funny because to me, cough becoming guff is a very Jordanian thing in my head because I lived in Jordan. Or even kind of a golfy thing that people in the Khalij will use sort of cough being pronounced as ga, and even some people in North Africa. This is not a uniquely Iraqi thing, and I don't know how it's ended up in a lot of, especially, again, we're talking about non-native speakers, but how it's ended up in a lot of people's heads that, like, cough becoming guff is Iraqi. No. 
first of all, I think this is where we get into the question of urban versus rural dialects. I think this is a far more common feature in rural dialects over urban dialects. However, it really does exist in so many places. It's it's the traditional Jordanian dialect prior to the Nakba, prior to the wave of, of uh, Palestinian refugees that had to leave Palestine and enter Jordan, and sort of this shift in Jordanian dialect. Prior to that, Jordanian dialect was sort of its own thing, and it was what I would think of now as like a rural Levantine dialect. It, it had features that you might hear and think, oh, well, that's kind of Iraqi sounding, um, but it wasn't Iraqi dialect per se. And it was very much sort of this dialect of rural spaces, of sort of Bedouins and nomadic peoples. They had sort of their own features. So golf is one of those things. So like when I hear people talking about golf being golf, I'm like, no, that's totally a Jordanian thing as well. It's not a Palestinian thing. It's not an urban Jordanian thing. It's not a Lebanese thing. But rural eastern Syria, rural, you know, eastern Jordan, parts of the Gulf, Kuwaiti, Emirati, you know, Saudi dialects. Not, again, all speakers in these countries, but some speakers in these countries, some speakers across North Africa, and then again, some speakers in Iraq, definitely do make the shift of Qaf into Gulf. Something that is interesting, though, is that in Iraqi dialect, both forms exist, and they exist in specific situations. So when I talk about cough becoming guff in Jordanian, it's pretty much across the board. You know, so it doesn't matter if I'm saying gahwa, it doesn't matter if I'm saying, you know, anambagulak or something. It doesn't matter if I'm saying digiga or hakiga or any sort of these words that, you know, they're all going to have a guh. Whereas in Iraqi dialect, the pronunciation of qaf as gaf has to do with the etymology of the word. I have to find the article on this, but I know I've read an article or somebody's poster research about this. About It has to do with like which dialect of, of Iraqi Arabic it came from, whether it was like Muslim Baghdadi Arabic and then Christian Baghdadi Arabic, I think are the two sort of major ones that it kind of fused to create modern Iraqi dialect. And one of them maintained the cough more, and one of them maintained the guff more. And then sort of certain words fell certain places. So, for example, in Iraqi dialect, you'll say agul for akul. You'll say agul as a g. But then you'll say haqiqa. But then you'll say, I've heard people say both haq and hag. You'll say, I'm pretty sure people say the giga. Or do they say the qiqa? I have to think about that now. But there but but there is a distinction that certain words are cough and certain words are guff. You can't just make all coughs into a guh in Iraqi dialect. There is a distinction. And so that's the thing that makes Iraqi unique. It's not guff everywhere. It's specific goffs that you sort of have to listen for. Iraqi dialect is also super unique because it has a lot of interesting loan words that come from Persian, that come from Turkish that come from even, you know, British English, and they've been morphed around. It has some really, really, really unique sort of vocabulary that does make it sort of very different from other dialects, even dialects that share a lot of its features. Thinking about Iraqi dialect actually makes me think of one thing that I think I can say is a unique feature across just about every dialect, at least that has it. For the most part, this isn't 100%, is the concept of the progressive so standard Arabic does not actually have a progressive form. So when I say ana adrus, 
It means all of the following. I study, I am studying, I do study. There is no grammatical form in Arabic officially that gives you just the I am studying form. Arabic does have a present participle that you could use. You could say anadaris or anadarisa, depending on gender. But this isn't actually always a progressive. Actually, in the word daris, it's actually a perfective. If you, if my students come into class and I say into darisin, means have you studied, not are you studying right now. Same thing with other verbs like sharib. Like if I say anashariba, it's not I'm drinking, it's I've had a couple drinks. Um, I've either already drank something or I'm a little tipsy even um, in certain in certain contexts. Whereas if I say like anarayha from from raha, ra'ih, ra'ih, so anarayha means going. I am going, it's not I went. So so to say that the ism al-fa'il, the, the present participle, is a progressive form is actually incorrect. It's only a progressive form in certain verbs and even still some of them aren't actually used commonly to replace conjugated verb forms. Anyways, what happens in dialects, though, is that dialects come up with ways to express the idea of sort of the progressive. There are phrases in Standard Arabic that you can say, but they're they're sort of clunky and they're very sort of emphatic sounding. But dialects have come up with ways, usually with um, prefixes or sort of other participles, to help build the progressive form for speakers. One of the most common examples is in Levantine dialect, we use the prefix am, which is just usually ein meme. So am before a verb means ing at the end of the verb. So if I say like, I'm studying, am badrus, means I am doing it right now. Am bokil, I'm eating, which is actually, sorry, that's kind of a rural accent, but that's what I say, am bakul is what most people would say. I'm bashtagil. I'm I'm working. Using this am before a verb. And some people put the buzz, some people don't. So you know say I'm ashtagil or I'm bashtagil. They're both perfectly fine. Putting the am before the verb makes it progressive. However, this is a Levantine thing. Am is Levantine. If you hear am you're talking Syrian, Lebanese, Jordanian, Palestinian. In the Gulf, they use the form garid or garda which is the present participle of the verb qada, meaning to sit. It's weird, I know. It's not weird, it's just interesting. Like to say, I'm sitting, I sitting do this. But you even use it for like going. So if you say like, anagada ruah, is like, I'm, I'm walking, I'm going. Anagada imshi, I'm, I'm walking. But I'm using the verb qad. And so saying qada means like going, but, but it literally means sitting. It's... It's it's interesting. I like it, but it's interesting. This feature is used in the Gulf, but it's also used in southern Iraq. So like in Basra, I've heard from friends who are Basrawi that, that this is what they use for the progressive. But Baghdadis use D as a prefix. So just how I just said that in the Levant we use Am, Baghdadis use D. So they'll say, you know, uh, the Gulag, like, like I'm, or I don't know, like I guess, like I'm, I'm telling you. Or I don't know, dashtagil, or I'm I've never heard anybody say like dashrab, or or dakul or something that sounds stupid to me. But dashtagil, I've definitely pretty sure I've heard like uh oh like dasawi or something like I'm doing. Anyways, it's a del. It's just a del right at the start of the verb, and this is the progressive marker for Baghdadi Arabic. 
again, this is Baghdadi, and, you know, a lot of Iraqis will use it, whereas Basrawin in the south, people from Basra, will generally use this guide form that you hear also in the Gulf. As far as I'm aware, I can't think of anything. I don't think Egyptians use a progressive. They don't have one. They don't use Am. If they do, it's, it's, it's something they've picked up from Levantine speakers. I can't think of anything else that they use. And I don't, I can't think of anything from Moroccans either. Again, Moroccan dialect is my weakened, my my weakest dialect, so don't ask me a lot about that. But this is what I mean, is that this is something that's very sort of unique per dialect. That Levantine dialect has um, Iraqi has the Southern Iraqi, and Gulf dialects have Ga'id, and that's sort of it for the most part. The final thing that really people often consider, oh, like, that's what makes a dialect, is word choice. And I agree with this, and I also disagree with it. I agree with it in the sense that, yes, dialects often have unique words for things. It's not just pronunciation. It's not just maybe a special grammatical form. They will often have words that, like, you don't hear in other dialects. Or, like like I talked about earlier and in, in the previous episodes, they might have a word that does exist in another dialect, but with a very different meaning. However, because of globalization and because of mass media some words are spreading you know just like i talked about how southern levantine speakers will use the sh suffix for a negative which is more than likely a, a, an egyptian influence possibly both via media as well as via um you know via Ghazawi dialect like gazan dialect and palestinian dialect and then into jordanian dialect there are also words that that happens with and and I'm not just talking like a single like a noun that people hear like a slang term, but words where let me think of an example. So for example, I get this one sometimes as well when people assume that I speak Egyptian. Egyptian Arabic is sort of again known for some very unique kind of words and phrases. Like if you hear somebody say like in the harda, meaning today that's usually Egyptian. If you hear question words at the end of a sentence, that's usually Egyptian. And one of the question words that's very sort of, I think, prominent is like, oh, okay, that's that's an Egyptian word, is the word izay. And izay means how. And so we get that, you know, one of the first things people learn in Egyptian Arabic is, uh, is izayik. How are you? And so from izay, you get the word zay meaning like would I mean this is this is the standard Arabic word mithla. And in Levantine dialect traditionally we have mithla and then mithla goes through sound change and we get mitl. And so mitlak, mitli, I don't know, mitl, whatever. Mitlo. There's a really famous Lebanese sketch show called Mafi Mitlo. There's none like him from Mitlo. However, the word zay meaning like, is actually really common in Southern Levantine dialect in, in, in Palestine and Jordan. People use they quite frequently. And it's one of those words that like, I'll say it. And then I've, you know, and, and again, I'm not just saying this as an example, like people have literally said this to me. I've had like Egyptian speakers or other people who are not Egyptian or Levantine speakers hear it and they assume that it's Egyptian. They're like, oh, like, when did you live in Egypt? And they think that I just have a more neutral pronunciation, but I've picked up Egyptian words or something. I, I don't know how they get there, but Zay is one of those words where 
this isn't just an Egyptian word. This is a word used in southern, you know, in southern Levantine dialects as well. And so, you know, sometimes words spread across dialects. Sometimes words change meaning across dialects. Sometimes words are very unique to dialects. So, for example, Jordanian dialect has a word tagia, which means like cool or awesome or something like that. I've never heard another dialect use it. It's just not a word that I've ever heard them use. Um, like I said, Iraqi dialect has so many words that come from Persian, so many sort of unique words. North African dialects, you know, I have several Moroccan friends, and sometimes they'll say things, and I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't know any of the words that came out of your mouth. And usually once they explain the ones that are words I know but sound different, I'm good. But then a lot of times there's another word, and it's a word from, you know, it's a word from Amazigh, it's a word from French or Spanish, but it sounds different. You know, and so Moroccan has a lot of unique words. And then some words, like I said, change meaning. So, for example, in the Levant, we use the verb haka, meaning to talk. And But it's like the everyday word to talk. And that's in Egyptian, they use kalam or tkalam. And then in Morocco, for example, they use haka, but... It's not just like talking, like, like you know, oh, hi, I speak Arabic and I'm Behki Arabi or something. It's like, I used to have, I would kind of gossip a little bit. And I had a colleague uh, when I taught at Middlebury and she would look at me and she'd be like, Aaron, I'm like, heck. And again, she's, I mean, again, this is what I'm saying. I'm trying to remember exactly what she would say. Maybe she would say that. And maybe she was saying it. I don't know. She only ever said it. It wasn't like her everyday word for to talk. She only said it when it was like talking about people or telling stories, more like the traditional meaning of the Arabic verb haka, which means to like recount, to narrate, to tell a tale, something like that. And so though she knew Levantine dialect and she would use it with me because that's what I understood better than trying to understand her when she spoke Moroccan dialect, there were still sometimes implications and nuances in how she used words because of her native dialect. Similarly, like I talked about earlier, there are just also words like Again, I realize at this point there's no more structure. I'm just popping, things are popping into my head. So, for example, instead of aidan, meaning also, I use the word keman. Several dialects have the word keman, but there's also the word bardo. Bar- yeah, bardo. I, to this day, cannot get myself to use the word bardo. I almost exclusively seem to hear it from Egyptians, so maybe it is an Egyptian word, but I've heard it from Palestinians. And I, I remember a Palestinian friend that lived across the hall from me in a different apartment. And uh, she and I would talk all the time about stuff like this. And I asked her one day, I was like, what's the difference between command and bardo? Because you use both. You say command, and then the next sentence you'll say bardo. What is the difference between them? And she couldn't tell me. And I would try to pay attention to the way she spoke. And I sort of started to intuit that like bardo was more like... I don't even know. So, like, command was, like, as well, you know, like, in addition. Like, for some reason, it's popping to head right now. Like, if you speak Hebrew, it's the word od. So, like, you know, I talk to my dog, and I ask her, like, bid the command shway? Do you want some more? So, that command meaning more in addition also. Whereas bardo is, like, I don't know. I used to hear, I would hear Dalia say it, and it, it made me feel like she was talking about, like, otherwise or and else i don't know like we were talking she's like ubardo 
and like Ubardo. Anyways, like I, I can't even. Again, again, this is a word that maybe there is no difference in nuance. Please, if you are a native Arabic speaker, tell me if there is a difference in nuance between command and bardo, or if this is just a question of two different words that are used. And again, I hear bardo way more commonly from Egyptians, and I hear command way more commonly from Levantine speakers. And so maybe it's just two different dialects, two different words. But I also hear some people use them both, and I really, really, really want to know, because after 12 years of Arabic, I still don't know what the difference between these two words are, and I'm so sorry. Anyways. Yeah. At this point, I've been talking for, you know, not quite an hour, and I do want to stop, and I apologize for some of the lack of structure at the end, but hey, that's what you're here for. I think there's a lot more to be said about specific dialects of Arabic, and I think there really is a place that if people are interested for me to set up sort of a structured, like, hey, here's a survey of, you know, important features of Levantine dialects. If people are interested, I can probably spend at least a half hour, if not an hour, talking about the difference between Northern Levantine, so like Lebanese and Syrian, and Southern Levantine, Palestinian and Jordanian, and then even sort of a question of what would be Eastern Levantine, so Eastern Syria and Eastern Jordan, and how, you know, people think Levantine means like Lebanese and Syrian, and then they hear a Jordanian speak, like somebody like from a rural part of Jordan, and they assume they're Iraqi. Or I remember the first time I heard a Syrian from Eastern Syria speak, and I was just like, wait i'm sorry where are you from and like and 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 he said to me like i'm syrian but i just i kept hearing and i'm like this sounds so much like you know so much like eastern jordanian or like sort of uh you know kind of like iraqi dialect but different somehow it didn't sound like sort of what we think of as damascene shami uh syrian arabic and so i definitely have a lot to say about that specific dialect and its variations but I, you know, I have friends that are speakers of other dialects that people would be interested in sort of me sitting down with them and doing surveys of other dialects. I think that would be kind of fun, but it would take some planning. So if you are interested in that, please contact me and let me know. Otherwise, as always, if you have any feedback on what I talked about today, questions about more things, comments about something, there's a lot of nuance here that I sort of skipped over and a lot more examples that could be had. So if you're going to message me and just say, why didn't you talk about this? Or, hey, I speak this dialect and I also use that word. By all means, that's completely valid. So please don't assume that because I didn't say it, I you know, don't think that something exists or I'm invalidating your experience. That's certainly not the case. But I love hearing feedback from you all. And I know I have a lot of good native Arabic speaking followers who will often message me and be like, hey, you know, this is something I've noticed too. Or have you thought about this word or something? And they help me understand the dialects that I don't know as well. Like, certain features of Egyptian dialect, or I have several Moroccan followers who share Moroccan things with me all the time. So as always, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have feedback, please, by all means, contact me. Um, my name is Polyglot Aaron, P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-E-R-I-N on all major social media and at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. Next week, I will be talking about learning Arabic and how to go about talking about you know, standard Arabic and dialects. So please stick around for that and stick around for the month of June. I have something exciting coming up. So yeah, I will see you all next time. And for now, goodbye.